Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show that comes to you once a week, recapping the Hollywood week that was, getting you ready for the Hollywood week to come. This is Mike, Mike, and Oscar Weekly, hashtag MMO Weekly, hashtag MMOW. Uh, we are your co-hosts, Mike One, and also Mike here. Yeah, so MMOW is usually like a fun and lighter show, Mike, because the you know the Hollywood news is usually fun and lighter, but these past few weeks, man, the news has just been dead serious for, for good reason. And therefore, look, I mean, we got some big, serious stories right at the top today mm. that we cannot, we should not shy away from. And uh, look, there is a trigger warning in effect here because we do have some stories about sexual assault. We are going to read from the quotes uh, of these allegations, and it, it is going to take up probably the first third, maybe the first half of our show today. Just four quick segments on Oscar Race. Uh, Oscar Race Checkpoint, MMOW. We do two weekly shows, and I <laughs> confuse them for, apparently. But yeah, we're gonna we're gonna start off with uh, news of the week on some uh, some serious stuff. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Mike just said uh, when this you know sexual assault and sexual assault allegation stuff breaks, it seems to break in waves. And this was another week where it just broke in waves. There's, uh, unfortunately, a lot of allegations and a lot of news stories to sort through. So we'll start uh, at the top with the one that kind of took the uh, social media into webs by storm with Chris D'Elia. So comedian Chris D'Elia was accused of sexual misconduct, Mike, when uh, a victim saw his role in the Netflix show You which is about serial killers and pedophiles, and apparently he played a pedophile on the show. So uh, a woman posted that she couldn't believe he was playing this character, that it, oh my God, it it mimicked his real life. Mm. And she stated in the process that she was targeted by Dalia when she was in high school. He had solicited her for nude pictures, and after they conversed a bit, he tried to get her, for lack of a better term, to get with his friend before being with him. So WTF here, uh, he found her on Instagram. So this wasn't like a connection at a comedy show or nothing. He literally stalked her on Instagram. And there's all kinds of evidence to that in terms of the social media research people did. And, you know, she said there was all kinds of obvious high school photos on her feed where she was at high school football games, doing kid things. So this is just absolute predatory behavior. And, you know, after this girl uh, reported this on her social media, a bunch of women came forward with similar claims uh, supporting her and, and apparently similar things happened to them. Yeah, so I guess the the biggest allegation against Dalia is that he's been groomed, uh, labeled pretty, accused of being a pedophile for preying on girls that are underage and uh, grooming them, alleged to have groomed them, and uh, it, just a lot of bad stuff. For his part, Dalia has denied the allegations, at least to an extent. This comes from Tom Tapp's article on Deadline. This is a quote quote, I know I have said and done things that might have offended people during my career, but I have never knowingly pursued any underage woman at any point. Dalia said in a statement obtained by Deadline, quote, all of my relationships have been both legal and consensual, and I have never met or exchanged any inappropriate photos with the people who have tweeted about me. That being said, I really am truly sorry. I was a dumb guy who absolutely let myself get caught up in my lifestyle. That's my fault. I own it. I've been reflecting on this for some time now, and I promise I will continue 
continue to do better. So, what lifestyle, Mike? Yeah. What lifestyle condones you know going after kids who are obviously in high school when on a photo app, on a worldwide photo app, yeah. you have photos of kids doing doing kid things, and then you're going after this kid? Yeah. Targeting? So he he's saying essentially that. At least it seems like he's trying to claim that he didn't he he thought all these kids were of age, um, which yeah. is fine if that's his defense, except that I, I I went on kind of I went down the rabbit hole with this when the news broke. I think it was Friday night and I was just clicking around. Um, there's a lot of photos out there about him and what looks like him being involved in this type of behavior and it's a lot of different women and a lot of different photos and screenshots it's tough for me to believe that so many people and so many women would go out of their way to take time to photoshop and fake images and do things to make it look like crystalia was this bad guy all at once of course uh, not ridiculous right, right and the evidence is kind of insurmountable and the one that really like just grossed me out the most there was one girl who uh provided a screenshot Dalia slipped into her dms allegedly and i mean it says chris but whatever talking about the comedy show there's no reason to not believe it isn't him on the other end because of the specifics in this screenshot he asked you know basically wanted wanted to meet up with her she said she was 17 she outright said it to him and he said oops too young the conversation ended, and then it's not a different screenshot. It's all in the same photo. Ten months later, he goes back into the same DMs because she was 17, so now she's 18 maybe. And it just uh, – this sucks because I really, really was a big fan of Chris D'Elia, and part of the reason I was such a big fan of his is because every time he talked about issues that were relevant in society and cultural issues, he always – spoke bluntly and was on the right side of things. He seemed like a very rational human being on top of being a, a pretty cool and calm and collected delivery and a, and a, a very suave guy. I got this. He was cool. I mean, he was cool to me. And to see this, it's just gross. There's just too much evidence out there to think it's anything else other than what he's being accused of being. Well, this has happened to us many times over recent yeah. years. And, you know, you shine a new light on people. I mean, how many people, you know, their favorite comedian was Bill Cosby. I mean, I grew up on Bill Cosby stuff, and right. we find out what a monster he was. Michael Jackson and, and the yeah. music there, and that's still debatable, I, I suppose, but there's a lot of damning evidence against him. Louis C.K., I was a big fan of Louis yep. C.K., and I think he had a burgeoning film career as well. But to me, there's just no possible excuse no. for any of these actions, for going after girls this young. I mean, these are children. 17-year-old girls are children. Yeah. And there's just, it, this is just disgusting. And I think Whitney Cummings hit this nail on the head when she addressed the uh, Crystalia allegations. She said, quote, this is a pattern of predatory behavior. This abuse of power is enabled by si silence. And now that I'm aware, I won't be silent. Girls should be able to be a fan of a comedian they admire without becoming a sexual target. It is the adult's responsibility to be an adult. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the that's the you couldn't have said it better myself. That's exactly what it is. Girls shouldn't be and boys. I mean, we shouldn't be in this. Right. You shouldn't be afraid to look up to someone without fear of them need, wanting to prey on you because of their position of power. And it was actually Whitney Cummings who gave Crystalia his biggest break. She wrote the part 
of her boyfriend in that short-lived NBC sitcom, Whitney, that she was the star of. Uh, she wrote the part of her boyfriend specifically for Dalia before he was a household name and before he was on the come-up. Uh, she provided him that big break, and she's always been very close with him. And so seeing her come out and take this stance so entrenched against his actions and against what he's being accused of, uh, it's refreshing in a way she's and and it's it's kind of nice to know that she stands by her principles that she's kind of spoken on uh it, it this this whole thing is just creepy and it sucks mike if she was 37 and not 17 obviously the the legal factor is different but she if she was 37 and admired a comedian and and formed a social media relationship i still think it would be unethical and wrong for that comedian to then like try and you know pr- pr- you know basically get this person right you know but at least at that point a she's a full-grown adult and can make yeah, her own decisions and yeah no i agree with you what you're saying it's still I an agree. abuse of yeah. power it's i still totally an abuse agree. of power it's an unbalanced relationship and it's always will right. be and, and i mean i guess i guess the point I'm, i was trying to make there maybe poorly was that it, it's just magnified and exacerbated because she, she she's a child like you said I and mean, this is just Oh, it's just all so terrible. It really is. And unfortunately, it wasn't the lone story uh, of these types of abuses and allegations we're going to talk about right now. Yeah, Ansel Elgort of Baby Driver in the upcoming West Side Story was accused of sexual assault when a girl named Gabby posted a picture of them together and told her story on social media. According to that story, Elgort was 20 and she was a few days older than 17 when they were having sex. She was crying. She was obviously not into it at that point. And he kept going, saying, quote, we need to break you in. His response denies that he did anything illegal essentially and he and he does apologize in a very strong way for something other than what she's accusing him of because he's apologizing that he's quote disgusted with himself over how they broke up for being immature for ghosting her but again this is totally beyond the point it's beyond the point of 20 and 17 which is not illegal in new york it's beyond the point of, of what this girl's accusing him of. She's accusing him of sexual assault that has nothing to do with their ages in this regard. Yeah, I mean, this is just another girl. This is why I, I do, I, I have said many times, believe victims, you got to believe victims. And part of that is, look, I know there are people out there who do make up allegations. We know that's an unfortunate aspect of life that's been proven. Uh, it's happened recently with famous people as well. It's been proven to be discredited, but... I, I find it very hard to believe, much like in the same thing that I just said about Dalia, where these all these photos coming out and all these screenshots coming out, I find it very hard to believe that would take one concerted effort, that people would bother to do that. I find it very hard to believe that women would put themselves, specifically women, would put themselves in these situations to accuse these specific things of being said and done against a person of fame, knowing the power imbalance that they suffer. And that's why I do tend to believe victims. And this is just another thing. It just it makes no sense to me that someone would make up such a specific allegation saying the things he said in that moment, uh, like she is claiming had he had done and knowing that she could be exposing herself to all sorts of backlash from his fans and himself and his attorneys and blah, blah, blah. If it's not true. Uh, and this is another case of just where do we go in the society where people think fame allows them to equate power and they can just take what they want from anyone who isn't famous because they're just lesser than. I mean, this is all just gross. That's kind of what it's all based on for me. It's just, I, I, I hate it. To me, this story gets very specific somehow too because, again, you know, he is like, you know, defending himself in a legal way, right? It's probably his people, you know, forming his defense here. 
but he doesn't address her allegation. Right. She doesn't, he doesn't address that. So it's like he's apologizing for something else, and he's going above and beyond to apologize in that way, which to me sounds like he's condemning himself. He's not refuting that. Yeah, at which point, what are you apologizing for, right? It's like one of those types of things. Why would you apologize right. that strongly for having a bad breakup when you're 20 years old? You and I both had bad breakups when we were 20 years old. I'm not going to publicly apologize for being somewhat immature at that age in that way, right. unless I'm guilty about something else. I mean, again, you know, we have to read between the lines at this stage. There's no other way to do it. Well, if that wasn't all happy enough for those two giant, disgusting allegations against two extremely famous A-list people, uh, we had another movement on another sexual assault, uh, and this was a rape allegation. Danny Masterson, formerly of both The Ranch and That 70s Show, he was formally charged uh, this weekend in L.A. with raping three women. Um, Masterson was accused years ago. I think this was three or four years ago at this point that he was first accused. It sucks knowing that the wheels of justice take this long to spin, but I can tell you, having seen it from the inside, that's not due to any nefariousness. That's just how slow justice takes sometimes because courthouses and staffs are perpetually understaffed and overworked as it is. But, uh, yeah, they did finally come around, and he looks like he's going to formally be charged and uh, perhaps stand trial for these accusations. So, if convicted, apparently Masterson faces 45 years to life. I have some questions for you about the legal process. Yeah. I know all these cases are different, and right. that's why we wanted to cover them separately. But in, you know, in 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 this, well, I guess in in all their cases, I, I hate to group them together. But are lawyers reaching out to the victims of? Ansel Elgort, the victim of Ansel Elgort, and uh, the victims of Chris D'Elia. is are they trying to fish for some possible and are they trying to investigate these scenarios because it's become so high profile and public, or do they have to wait on these women to press the charges? I mean, how does that work? Well, if it's a criminal charge, the state does it. I mean, they they, they got to you know go to someone. In the, they got to go to the police department. The police department talks to the state's attorney, and the state the state's attorney is probably going to talk to the victim, and they got to decide whether they're going to press charges, whether they think there's enough evidence. If it's a state like New York, there's a grand jury that gets involved. I mean, it depends really on a state to state basis when you get to that level. But yeah, I mean, usually the the, the victim's got to unless it's irrefutable evidence that it happened you know on camera or something. The victim's got to be able to bring the charge and bring the case forward to the state's attorney's office. And basically, Chris D'Elia, it's, it's all on social media. Are there any obvious crimes there that you can see? Oh, God. It, well, he, that's a tough question because I don't know the ins and outs and the intricacies of right. what even state. I guess it would be California. And knowing how progressive and liberal California is, uh, and how, usually the more progressive you are, the more serious you take uh, offenses against child and predators. So I would assume they'd be pretty strict but I, I i you know i mean chris d'elia is going to have a team of lawyers stuffling through and filing paperwork and filing motions if they ever did get formally accused anyway just like i'm sure danny masterson is going to on these cases uh the difference is with masterson the, because he's been formally charged that makes me think that they the prosecutor there thinks there is enough tangible evidence to at least bring this thing to a jury and have have it play out and have them decide well, I'm glad that the conversation is out there again about the justice system because, it, again, it falls on the justice system here. And you mentioned that the people are overworked, short-staffed, 
And this is why these situations happen, and this is why these situations fall through the cracks in many many ways. I think if women knew that things would be, you know, pounced upon by the justice system, by the people that are supposed to protect them, we wouldn't have these situations as much as we do. Yeah, these and part of the reason it takes. Part of, unfortunately, I should start by saying that part of the reason the sex assault and sexual abuse uh, allegations are so don't have the greatest track record with convictions is because a lot of the time it does boil down to a he said, she said. Um, And unfortunately, if you are famous and you have the luxury of, of being famous and you have what comes with fame, you have the money to afford very high price attorneys and attorneys are so high priced because they know how to create reasonable doubt. And in a criminal court, what you need is just reasonable doubt. And you just need one juror out of usually 12, depending on the state, to believe that there's reasonable doubt that what happened happened. And in a he said, she said case, it's much easier to create reasonable doubt in the mind of one person uh, than it is when you have hard evidence or something on tape or something recorded or you have a body in a death case, let's say, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, It sucks, but that's what it's necessary in this justice system because that's what comes with the presumption of innocence. There's just no other way to go about it. So Hollywood at the end of the day, the studio system, everybody who's hiring these actors and comedians, et cetera, in a way they're flying blind and that's not to take away their responsibility to vet the people that they're trying to hire and to vet the people that they're putting out in front of their projects. But you know, all of these accused assholes, they, they can be blacklisted. They can be canceled by cancel culture in a way. And, you know, again, there's a double-edged sword to cancel culture. I, I admit that. But at the same time, you know, if you have investigations that are, that are you know, yielding re- certain results, I would say, and you understand that Woody Allen admitted to X, Y, and Z, even if he can't be convicted of A, B, and C, and mm-hmm. same for Roman Polanski. And th- that's a good thing when they get blacklisted, isn't it? And we're going to have Ansel Elgort. He's going to be the star of West Side Story, which is supposed to be an Oscars movie. I, I mean, I, this is not the time and place to talk about West Side Story, but my God, I mean, they got to be... They got to be living through a, a terrible situation over there with at Steven Spielberg's companies, trying to you know posture this movie. I mean, what are they going to do with it? It's just one of those things where, I, I mean, I'm sure from their perspective. Usually, I'm hard on them. I'm usually hard on the studio systems, and you know that they, they do have some culpability in certain cases because they have a track record of just not vetting or ignoring these claims in the past yeah. to the point where there's you know belligerent. But in this case, I, you know, we're going to have to keep track of the story because I wonder how they're going to handle it. I think something very radical has shifted in the way these cases are handled, uh, in part, in big part, because of the Me Too movement, for one, but overall because of social media, uh, for the most part, for two, because it's just so easy to get caught now and get called out on your 
gross shit you do in what you think is private because private isn't private anymore, especially if you're somebody of a stature of celebrity. You don't really have a private life. There's always going to be cameras on you. There's always going to be people around you and you can't slide into someone's DMs and be disgusting and gross because now they can just put it on social media and you get a mob against you. And I don't think that's a bad thing and I don't like mob mentality, but I like the idea that there is some kind of check on celebrity where you have to actually act like a good person in private. You have to act like the person in private that you want everyone to think you are in public anyway. And I think the way that we consume media now in the age of social media with all these allegations is going to cause more and more receipts because I think there is going to be more pressure put on the comedy clubs to not maybe give Louis C.K. another slot to perform at. I think there is going to be pressure put on studios to not just hire these people and pretend these past allegations didn't happen. I know personally... I know, you know, we're, we who just view the media are very separate and far away from the actual victims of these allegations, um, but we do carry some power with us, too, and I think the power, uh, I think it changes. I think, I, personally, I changed definitely for me. I know the way I watch things, it's just since doing MMO, I can't watch certain people perform anymore. I just can't, knowing mm-hmm. what I know about them, and that's not really something that's happened uh, a long time for me. Like, that's not a long-standing vision of mine. I've, I've usually been able to look past and get over and just view the entertainment for the entertainment's sake. I can't do that anymore. I, I just, knowing what these people have been accused of doing and the evidence that I've seen, uh, it's just very tough for me to watch certain people perform. And it's, I think if that's an idea that becomes wider spread, there's going to be a greater check on these gross people being able to continue their livelihood while being a gross human being in private. And I think that's overall a good thing for now until we find a better way to vet them. In terms of our coverage of Hollywood and, and all the movies that we, we love to preview, you know, these stories are coming on the heels of so many stories about Hollywood admitting the fact that there are major inequalities for people of color, mm-hmm. for women, for women directors. This is something we've been covering for all three years of our podcast. And these stories and you think about the people involved in them have you know listed on their IMDb this next project and this next one and, and and so on you know they have work lined up for the next several years and meanwhile people are being you know turned away they're not being given opportunities to to get any work to get their right. foot in the door even Ava DuVernay's got to you know create all of these you know these institutions from scratch to get people to start so right. I, I do think that, you know, Hollywood really has to put their money where their mouths are. And I'm not saying that, you know, you should blackball these people forever. But they, they need to be seriously vetted, especially when, when it comes out like this and there seems to be evidence behind uh, what these claims and allegations are. And, and, if, and if they're blackballed for a couple years and they're proven totally innocent, I didn't want to bring up the Justin Bieber story, but I think it plays here. Because, you know, Justin Bieber, a couple days after he was accused of sexual assault, basically posted all this evidence via social media that he wasn't even there at the time. And his people, you know, they, I mean, it's a huge tw- tweet thread. And, you know, who knows what the truth of that situation is? I'm not going to, you know, say, say one thing or the other. But, you know, maybe that's a situation where there was a false accusation and he can prove it. And, and, and you know, again, you restore his career very quickly. Uh, which is, you know, maybe the right thing to do. But if these guys, you know, admit to all this gross shit, 
Like, why are we putting them front and center of our of our entertainment? Yeah. Why well, that's do where they we come get to in, tell like, their stories? Yeah, that's where we come in as the public and the viewing public. Like, we ultimately do have the power, and the studios will ultimately listen to us. And if we, if the public vets these situations and thinks that these people should be blackballed, if Louis C.K. T- takes time on an open mic night, if you stand up and leave, the club owner's going to notice that. If you don't go see an Ansel Elgort project because you're disgusted by these allegations, the studios are going to notice that. Like, you ultimately do, you're the arbiter of power in some ways. And as quickly as you gave it, as quickly as you give the fame to these people, you could also blackball them in your own way and I think more often than not the studios are going to listen to the box office because everything comes back to the bottom dollar in this industry like we keep saying ad nauseum unfortunately yeah unfortunately absolutely but if you affect the bottom dollar you're going to affect change as well but these people are also sly and and, and insidious I mean you look at Woody Allen's career you look Mm -hmm. at his filmography I studied it back when I was in college and you know I never really understood the situation where he was accused of this and that. I just never did until recently, until our podcast, until things have come to light recently. I always remembered that it was just disgusting to me that he married Soon Yi, who was right. his stepdaughter. But at the same time, I was like, all right, maybe it was a different time. Anyway, I was ignorant and stupid because the evidence of what he did or with the claims of, of what he was supposedly did to his other daughter, there's evidence with the, the first stepdaughter. So it's absurd that we didn't recognize that. And we're idiots. We're collectively a bunch of idiots uh, and, and ignorant or we didn't care or whatever. But look at his filmography from Manhattan to The Irrational Man to Crimes and Misdemeanors, which we covered in a, mm-hmm. in a past life on this show i mean all of these movies are about like him wrestling with these horrible things his characters that he plays in the goddamn movies or did or allegedly did and it's just like he can't help but try and quote unquote justify himself in many ways or you know flog himself at other times for things he did wrong but those stories should not be in the zeitgeist as much as others why do we want these criminals to be able to put their stories out there at bankrolled by Hollywood. Why do they get that privilege when we have entire minorities of people yeah. that, that don't get that that right and that pri- well, that privilege? It's not. I a think right, that it is a privilege. I think that's a, a wonderful point. Um, and this translates to other industries too, and other venues of entertainment. I mean, I know we didn't even mention. I, I, I wasn't going to mention. The independent wrestling scene had their yeah. own Me Too movement uh, this past weekend as well. It was called hashtag, they did under the hashtag of speaking out. But it's the same thing goes. I mean, these people that are in these mentor, these trainer positions, these people that are supposed to be, they have some fame to them in the industry, in their industries, and they're supposed to be guiding. They use that to exploit and, and uh, be perverse, allegedly, towards their students and towards people that need to rely on them. And why do we let them in those power positions? You're absolutely right. It's... Again, I don't know where we as a society went wrong that a lot of people equated fame with the ability to take advantage of someone in one way or or another. Hopefully we're in the midst of fixing that. And if part of fixing that is Twitter outrage and social media outrage, it's not the best thing. I understand that. But if that's the only answer and it does affect change and we have that at our disposal right now, I mean, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, even though it's not great either. 
And there's a lot of books on this written by like John Ronson, for instance, I, I, you know, the psychopath test, other books. I, he's he's written about this at length. And it is a double edged sword. Let's be honest. I mean, cancel culture can take that mob mentality on it and, you know, ruin people's lives. Right. And in some instances, it's it's very disproportionate to what people did or what they said. And, it, and it's and it is terrible. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it is wrong, and that mob mentality can go go off, and on, it, does, it happens on social media. But you know, I, if if a few people who are being accused of you know horrible crimes, if you don't allow them to work for a couple years, and and it comes out that it's wrong, you know, I would I would just sit on the side of caution in a way, because why would you just put them front and center of your stuff if you're Hollywood? Yeah, I I, I mean I I don't. It's an industry I can only hope is 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 changing and taking these allegations uh, seriously, and it seems to. I mean, the Me Too movement seemed to be a very pivotal moment, and this is why these stories keep popping up. And it's good that they do when people find their their strength and their bravery, and they think it's time to speak up and speak out against these these monsters and these predatory behaviors. Uh, I, God bless them. I'm all we're all in favor of the victims. Um, yeah, like you said earlier, definitely stuff, uh, not only in terms of these stories specifically, but their impact in the industry and how uh, the productions they are current, some of these talents are currently tied to. We're going to keep an eye on all of it for you. Uh, kind of rough to start off MMOW on such a uh, down note, but uh, we can try to pivot. We'll talk about a box office update here. Uh, Mike, what do we got? So Bowtie cinnamon, Cinemas or Cinnamon or mm, whatever. They should go into the cinnamon business. At this point, it might be more profitable. More <laughs> Bowtie cinnamon. cinnamon. Yeah, no, God. cinnamon. Yeah, he put it on some strudel, little French toast. They, the ominous they, <laughs> reopened, and they showed everything from American Psycho to Aquaman. I think that was the biggest chain that reopened. But the box office number, uh, mojo numbers just aren't there. Like, they have a couple new movies, Miss Juneteenth being one of them that's, that I like that I'll review in the next ORC. You know, that made a little bit of money, but no money was really made by films other than Becky and The Wretched, the same kind of movies that have been making this and that. Drippings, right? You know, from the few cinemas and the indie chains that have opened up. So, there are no new numbers to discuss, but there is a big story about Gone with the Wind. Yeah. This, you know, we haven't done an MMO note W for a couple weeks. Yeah. So this, this story hit, and there was a couple iterations of it, Mike. So Gone with the Wind, it's back in the news because in a lot of ways this country's still stuck in the 30s and 40s. HBO Max, they made news when they pulled Gone with the Wind until, quote, it could return with some historical context. Uh, there was outrage. A few days later, HBO said it's going to return Gone with the Wind to their service with a new intro explaining the, quote, Gone with the Wind is a product of its time and depicts some of the ethnic and racial prejudice that have unfortunately been commonplace in American society. I'll say. Uh, HBO also <laughs> adds a discussion about this historical context on Max. Meanwhile, Gone with the Wind, it did climb the VOD rental charts to the point where it topped some of the biggest ones like Amazon uh, as a response to HBO pulling it in the first place. So what do we make of all this, Mike? Well, I guess the first question is it also in response to what the president said. I didn't do enough research to know that to, to, to figure out if he said what he said, if that happened after it rocketed up to number one. But basically, this seems like a troll job or people, <laughs> right? I mean, it, it, you can't take it any other way. It seemed like people took Gone with the Wind and just say, no, that's a great movie no matter what, and let's let's all make it number one. It, like, it was a concerted effort. It was an organized effort out there for people to, you know, purchase this on Amazon Prime and purchase this on iTunes to the point where it became number one on some of those charts. Where do you stand on this? 
like this whole the whole issue of things being retroactively put on uh, put up against the 2020 lens because well, obviously it, Gone with the Wind has been a great piece of American cinema for decades. I don't want to really take this from our perspective, but there's no other way to do it. It's a large reason why we are not a retrospective podcast. Yeah. I think we started as a podcast that was going to go over every Academy Award nominee from here to the end of the time. And people do that, and they do that very well, and they do it with honor, and they do it in a woke way. I just didn't want to mire myself in all that because every single movie from the 40s, 50s, 60s, (laughs) I mean, every movie we seemed to be reviewing, we were just, like, raging over, you know, how effed up they were and how... You know, this historical context was something that we didn't want to study necessarily, at least in terms of just being a podcast about that as the driver to what we do. So to me, I think it's a good thing that they're they're having the talks, the roundtable discussions. I mean, that's important. I do think it's important to study these things at at certain times. But, you know, there's a reason why some movies stand the test of time and why some don't. And, yeah. if, and if a movie like Gone with the Wind literally goes with the wind, I'm not that mad. <laughs> and I don't think I don't think a disclaimer is a bad thing either. I mean, I think that's right. you know, I, I think, yeah, I think it's important for them to be studied. I don't think they should be done away with completely. But I also don't think looking at it with 2020 eyes and and making the point to say specifically, basically, Society has evolved and hopefully improved in at least a little bit in some ways in the in the racial equality direction, even though that's even up for debate. We know that. Uh, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. Sky, the uh, the Canadian uh, uh, streaming service, or there, I think they're a television network, but they also put uh, disclaimers for outdated attitudes for films like The Jungle Book, The Last Samurai, Breakfast at Tiffany's, amongst fourteen films. Uh, after these Gone with the Wind stories hit. So I guess, you know, we we have to ask the question, is the disclaimer practice the right way to handle it? I guess it's like the situation where it's it's better than nothing, but it's still not a great way to go about this. Look, you can get rid of Breakfast at Tiffany's forever because that movie was horribly racist and everyone knew it at the time when it was happening right. and when we were giving the Academy right. Awards. So, <laughs> so that one I'm okay with deleting from history. The other ones, I do have a problem with just saying, you know, Gone with the Wind doesn't stand up to 2020 standards, so we should forget it. I don't think we should forget it, but I think it could also be used as an example to show what not to do and what doesn't work and what won't hold up in 2020. Uh, and even if you do watch it for those reasons, I think it could be of use. But no, I don't think a disclaimer is the worst thing. I said that already recently. I, I really, I don't. I think it's, I think it's okay. And people take like the slippery slope argument. And they, they apply it to this. And I, I don't understand that necessarily. Like, you can call out the problems with these films based on hindsight. You can call it out. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I don't think... Especially if movies are a mirror of the societal times they're in. You could... I right. This is... You know, it shows what the fuck the problems were back then. And, and in some cases... You can see how little we have evolved when it comes to racial equality, too, in certain aspects, in certain contexts. So I, I, when it comes to art, I'm a big proponent of of believing in the First Amendment and the freedom of speech and freedom of expression and all that. But it doesn't mean that 
it can it, it should never be touched throughout history and throughout time. It doesn't mean it needs to stand on its own two legs throughout time. I mean, context change. People evolve. Societal thinking evolves. Context and, evolves. And it means, you know, once you put it out into the public, it's fair game. Yeah, it's it's subject to scrutiny. Absolutely. Just like our podcast is, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, listen, you know, we may not say the right things all the time. And, you know, that's the, the truth of the matter. Yeah. And I'm sure we have it. So if we're reprimanded, that's so be it. Well, maybe and you will get it. that. Mike, I, uh, <laughs> the other big story in terms of this box office update is that the three biggest U.S. movie theater change announced their reopening dates. Regal is up first on July 10th. We also know that Russell Crowe's Unhinged and Selena Gomez's The Broken Hearts Club will be coming out as new movies on that date. AMC is reopening on the 15th of July. Cinemark is opening its doors on the 17th, the date that 824 slotted St. Maud, the horror movie, in, in, in for, uh, for a new release as well. So the big drama concerning all of these release strategies and all of these stories is that will theaters require masks should they force to wear them what's the deal what do you know right now do you really want to come back to your family and tell them you have corona because you had to go see the broken hearts club when regal <laughs> opened is that was that what you want to tell yourself good listening anyway yeah so amc uh obviously mike i'll be honest with you i want to see new movies again i'll be honest with you like every fiber of my being is saying oh let's just risk it let's just go i want to do yeah. it i want to see saint maud in a movie theater with other people so let's start the conversation with that way and, and masks are uncomfortable especially for long periods of time we've all done it over the last few months it's it's really uncomfortable to wear a mask indoors yeah i agree but guess what <laughs> right I, I, I agree. right i know you're on the side i know we see this this the same way but and you're making just a you're saying that you want to get back to theaters, which I understand. But if you want to get back to theaters, you should be required to wear a mask. And AMC, they didn't. They 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 came out first with their uh, requirements as coming back into their theaters and their rollout, and they said masks weren't a priority. They're not going to require their patrons to wear masks. And part of the reason they said that is the CEO came out and said we we thought it would be burdensome to implore people to wear masks if they didn't believe in it. And this sent Twitter into a rage, and rightfully so. Uh, critics like Clark Wolf, acting talent like Elijah Wood, they all came out and said, rightfully, by the way, how ridiculous politicizing the mask issue is. And they actually shamed AMC into changing their rule. AMC now will require patrons to wear masks. Uh, the other theaters, they followed AMC's lead every step of the way on this, from not requiring masks at first and then having their own about face and requiring them. Of the three biggest chains, AMC and Regal are both requiring masks of employees and patrons. Cinemark has said that they will abide by state law with regards to masks while suggesting guests wear them regardless. Yes, masks are uncomfortable if you wear them for a prolonged period. But let's just say we live in a world, hypothetically right now, in which there isn't scientific evidence that says masks will subvert the exposure of this virus let's just say the science is is muddied on that all right it's not but let's just say the most you're being asked to do is to wear a cloth over your face while you're around other people on the chance that maybe the virus won't be given from person to person never mind the fact that there is science that says wearing masks will slow the transmission of this disease and you will be doing a public good so is this just like, I don't get the whole issue why it's politicized either. Like, I don't get it. It's not that big of a deal, even though it is uncomfortable, but fine. It's not that big of a deal. Some people are getting science that states 
Because I've talked to people that state, you know, the scientists have gone back. Masks may not help. Like they cling on to the uncertainty of the situation. And therefore, we're not going to take a preventative measure just because it's uncertain the situation is uncertain or even if you know ha- even if the scientific community is split on it again the the stakes of maddening. it all it's maddening the stakes of it all is life and death so even if at the end of the day masks are proven not to right. work the way we always thought they would what's the risk at the end of the day like what's the risk i mean if you have asthma and, and you know you're, you're staying home instead of going out as much i mean i guess that's a that's a you know that's detrimental to you in a way, but uh, the people that are out there just like belligerently not wearing masks, that doesn't seem like a political statement worth taking because if you're wrong, if you're wrong, you're potentially spreading the virus to people who will die from it down the line Never because mind it's that contagious. The hoops you have to jump through to find that wearing masks is considered to be questionable. Like many medical experts that are on TV often every week talking about the virus who have dedicated their lives to disease recommend wearing masks all right i'm gonna believe their word and i think anybody with a rational brain should believe their word over somebody on your facebook feed who had trouble getting through high school science okay because they want to not wear masks they don't want the government to tell them what to do and blah 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 it's maddening yeah the whole world is essentially wearing masks for months now and because there's a contagion that is spreading around the world. The whole world shuts down, and you got conspiracy theorists that are saying one thing about it. But And maybe it's not as serious as, as we all think. Maybe everybody is, you know, taking it too far. But at the same time, even if that's true, what's the big deal of, of taking a preventative measure? Like, how does that hurt you? I mean, to me, like, I wouldn't consider not wearing masks because of my rights or anything like that. Why take that stand? Because you don't want to seem weak. Are they just ah! irritable? Or are they just in a position like we've spent three months and now we're fed up? We're done with it. Let me tell you who they all voted for. Let's go. Uh, let's transition here, Michael, before I, my head explodes and goes yeah. all the way off my shoulders. Uh, we'll talk about what we're watching. What we're watching. Good trans- it's hard to sing in this I episode. know. I was going to say that's a good transition by you to get that done, though. Yeah, it's, a, it's a man committed to the cause. I've been trying to take down a movie a day or a movie a night lately. Uh, We have some 2020 stuff that we're going to hold off until uh, our ORC episode at the end of the week talking about. So I'll uh, fill you in for there. One of the movies I did watch that I have never seen uh, that has a high score on IMDb is The Dead Zone with Christopher Walken. The Stephen (laughs) King. You did mention this. This was like a seven point something on IMDb. Okay, here's the positives. Um, If you've never had the honor, and I mean like the absolute (laughs) joy of listening to Christopher Walken gleefully yell going down a roller coaster, you want to watch The Dead Zone. <laughs> Short of that, you don't need to watch this movie. <laughs> it's a nice idea. It's a movie. It's a it's a concept I actually think could be done very well by like a Blumhouse and by a horror a horror director who who gives a shit about the genre. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't done necessarily efficiently it wasn't done very well uh the whole concept is supposed to be christopher walken can see the future of people and and if by just touching them kind of like an unbreakable type thing except that he only does it twice throughout the entire film so it it just it it or maybe three times i guess it takes away from itself it's the 80s early 80s it's kind of laughable sometimes and it's peak christopher walken delivering christopher walken lines like only christopher walken can (laughs) 
So, uh, you know, take that for what it's worth. Um, I also watched Tyrell. I watched it because I wanted to... I, this is a movie that intrigued me, and it's just been on my mind. and never got around to seeing it. Um, one, and Dowd is in it, so I should have known better. But two... Uh, Jason Mitchell is the star of it. He plays the lead character. His name is Tyler, and it was very tough for me to watch it. And I almost didn't get through it because of knowing about the things Jason Mitchell had been alleged of doing uh, and and been accused of previously. So I just wanted to bring that up again. I'm speaking from firsthand when I say my viewing habits since doing MMO and reporting on these things and following the industry more closely has very much changed. And I can't imagine I'm the only one uh, that deals with these issues. Separate from all that, the movie in and of itself, not that great. I gave it like a 75C, I think. So you're testing your hypothesis in a way, and it, yeah, you had a hard time. Yeah, it was, it was it was, gross, man. It wasn't, it, I had a very, very hard time. Very hard time. I know I keep saying gross, but that's in lieu of me just saying a bunch of curse words in a row. Um, <laughs> I watched The Seven Stages to Achieve Eternal Bliss, which was another ridiculous movie that we previewed on here. Taika Waititi plays a cult leader, and uh, Kate Micucci and her uh, her boyfriend own this house that these cult members keep going in to commit suicide. And Mike, I had a hard time getting through the trailer. How did so you were able to get through this movie? It was it was funny or two. I mean, that's like a tightrope in terms of <laughs> tonal imbalance. I would say it's not great. <laughs> um, I will watch anything Dan Harmon's in. I realize that he can do no wrong. He plays like the private eye or the, the detective that's assigned to all these suicides. Mm. And at times this, this movie goes for like farcical and satire. And I was yeah. laughing my ass off just because of the stuff he was doing. I'm sure that's bias, but not, you know, 76, another C, another, eh, whatever. Um, the, majority of good stuff i watched has to do with uh 2020 stuff as a matter oh, of good. fact and in better grades so we'll get to that i do have one more thing i'll i did watch i'll reference it when it comes up because we're going to talk about something related to it in a different segment coming up here so what about you mike what do you got okay so i watched luther i watched season four and season five after loving the series years ago with seasons one and two right mm-hmm. i mean Idris Elba, Ruth Wilson. It's a story about, you know, solving serial killer murders on the BBC. What happened to season three? It's not on Hulu. Well, season three was bad. It was just not good. And maybe that's why I didn't jump on season four when it came out. Maybe it's because my cable provider doesn't really have BBC and I wasn't aware of it necessarily. But I didn't seek it out, let's just say. Now... This okay. is why I want to bring this show up because seasons four and five are solid. They're, you know, typical Luther stuff. There's some sharks being jumped, but all right, fine, whatever. Mike, I needed the man of recaps here. <laughs> I, needed, I forgot everything from season well, one. Well, well, well. This happened to me. I'm like, oh, my God, I just stepped in it, didn't I? Mike is right about the Man of Recaps. Even though I don't condone the way you watch the Man of Recaps, I needed to let you know if I'm being honest with the folks out there. Like, this would have been the perfect time to watch recaps of seasons one and two because, like, they're bringing back characters from those seasons. I'm like, I recognize this guy, but I don't know who he is. I don't know the symbolic significance. He's a major character all over again. I don't remember what happened between Alice and Luther and now i am an idiot you know and i should have just taken that you know five minute youtube you know video watched it for the man of recaps or whatever and i failed you got to write him a letter tell him to get on the luther recaps i guess i don't know i don't even know if he has them out there he might have them for all i know i'm not sure either 
Mike, I am, you know, checking off a lot of boxes with new TV shows. I've been reviewing them on here for a while, but I'm also getting back to some older TV shows from previous Emmy seasons. I watched Maniac on Netflix, which is a miniseries starring Emma Stone, Jonah Hill. Yes. True Detective director, upcoming No Time to Die director, Carrie Joji Fukunaga. I loved the production design, this retro-futuristic 1980s setting. It reminded me of Terry Gilliam stuff. You have Sally Field in perhaps her best role in a while. You have Emma Stone and Jonah Hill at the peak of their powers just going off. I mean, they get, they're, they're in this, like, drug study where they're put in these virtual realities. So they're, they're in a fantasy world one week. They're in this, you know, silly, you know, redneck town another week. I mean, it's really, really weird, let's just say. They're in a gangster reality uh, in another episode. But, uh, look, I, I didn't think I'd ever get to this, but we have a quarantine worldwide. <laughs> it's very bingeable, let's just say. Good. And it's it's worth it just for the sets. I thought they did a terrific job. Good. I'm glad to hear that. That, that When that came out, I remember people were on either side of it. It didn't seem to be a lot of uh, you either loved it or you hated it. So UFC, I don't want to say much about it, but it's the only sport in town right now. Watch UFC 250, the replays on ESPN Plus, because there's some of the best knockouts ever. I oh, can't wow. believe, you know, the Sean O'Malley knockout, the Cody Garbrandt knockout. Uh, you have this submission by Sterling, and then Amanda Nunez. Wow, she is the goat right now. Yeah, in the she may be division. the greatest women's fighter of all time. Yeah, so th- though that was a great card. Uh, the last two fight nights haven't been great, though. You had the fight night, I versus Calvillo on 613, and then this last week, Blades, in a hell of a matchup with Volkov. It was just grueling. I just don't like the submission stuff. You know, it's just I like wrestling. I like the boxing. I guess I'm more of a boxing fan. <laughs> you just want to see somebody lose their teeth. I guess I'm a bad person, but it is riveting television. It, it, you know, they are, you know, safe. There's a lot of good sportsmanship, but I'm probably a bad person for watching it. But UFC, the only sport in town other than golf, and I don't You'd be a golf. better sniper than you would be a hitman, is what you're saying. You, you're willing to I take would, someone out from afar one shot than you would be strangling them from the backseat. I would be a punching bag. I would, I would, if I got kicked once in the shin, once, because they do these leg kicks. Yeah. I would do the Peter Griffin <laughs> and quit. I would tap out right there. Just once. One of those kicks, I would be done forever. That really hurt. Mike, I want to mention Clemency again with Alfrey Woodard. Uh, I, it's on Hulu right now. It's an important B-plus you know, grade from me. I spoke about it on our last ORC, but I want to flog myself again because... You know, look, I mean, this is a true, this is truly a parade of sadness. This is a movie about death row, about people working on death row, about the the men on death row. Oh, my God. The, the Brian Banks star, forgive me, I, I should have looked up his name. He's terrific in it. He should have been up for a supporting actor, you know, uh, consideration last year. But Alfre Woodard, I'm bringing this up now because Alfre Woodard, when I thought about her performance, she's easily better than Charlize Theron. She's easily better than Cynthia Rebo, And I think she's better than Renee Zellweger, who won the damn race last hmm. year. Wow. So nobody saw Clemency, including us at the time. Yeah. Shame on us. And Alfre Woodard had no momentum, no sustained momentum, because she was in a very depressing, sad movie. This is a problem, though. and I think it's worth pointing out, and I do think that hopefully critics are able to see these movies more widespread going forward, like us, and I hope that the Academy is able to see movies like this, because there's no way coming out of this you know, uh, movie-going experience that you can't say she is, isn't great in it. My God, she's phenomenal. Wendell Pierce is in it. He's, he's awesome, too. 
this movie was just completely neglected because of its subject matter, because it's so sad. I think because of its release date, too, Mike, to be quite honest with you. I think it was a victim of one of those coming out late in the year or early in the new year, and it just got lost in the shuffle. I remember thinking that this one shouldn't have been a Christmas time release, and that's what they targeted it on. Well, once we knew it wasn't getting nominated for such stuff, it's not an excuse, but... Yeah, we, we weren't going to go out of our way to, you know, bend over backwards to see it at that point. We had up to our eyes in Oscar movies, especially last year. But again, I'm making excuses for ourselves. It's probably the wrong thing to do. Mike, I have to state once and for all, my final submission for this segment is that I am officially a mama's boy. <laughs> I rewatched Emma. I rewatched Emma, and this put me down the rabbit hole of period pieces because oh, Emma no. was a great rewatch. <laughs> it really is good, but I went on a string of foo-foo, also mom-approved period piece romances <laughs> from Jane Austen in particular up top here. Sense and Sensibility. Ang Lee directed that. I had no idea. Oh, nominated for a, a million Oscars. Kate Winslet, Emma Thompson, Hugh Grant, Alan Rickman. It's excellent. Yeah, when a woman goes outside and gets caught in a rainstorm, she's probably going to die or, you know, get on the verge of death in any Jane Austen movie. This that's is... true for Pride and Prejudice. That's true for Sense and Sensibility. A rainstorm is as lethal as anything, in, as any bullet in any modern action movie. This is the least satisfying three-minute stretch in MMO history for me. I hate these movies. <laughs> no, you're an idiot for hating I know, I know. I don't think you're good. wrong about that. <laughs> the Joe Wright, Kira Knightley, Matthew McFadden, Rosamund Pike, Pride and Prejudice movie. It's also excellent. So there's no reason we shouldn't love them as much as we love little women. They're that good. So, I, like I said, things I learned, don't get caught in a rainstorm. There's no antibiotics. <laughs> Number two is character flaws don't disqualify you from a marriage. Like, you could be arrogant and stuff. But if you ever did anything wrong in your life, it disqualifies you from society. Well, that's and what we multiple- just kind of talked about. <laughs> Yeah, so this was true back then. Yeah. Uh, and finally, number three, I didn't like Scorsese's film, The Age of Innocence, with Daniel Day-Lewis and Michelle Pfeiffer, Winona Ryder, as much as the, the Jane Austen movies. It lacked, uh, the, didn't have enough Robert De Niro in it, maybe. The Edith Wharton, there's no Robert De Niro. I know. The, <laughs> the Edith Wharton book didn't play as well as the Jane Austen book. So again, consider me shocked. I, I liked... You know, the Ang Lee sense of sensibility much more than the Scorsese's The Age of Innocence. Well, there you go. You learn something. Maybe Scorsese can't do uh, everything that he wants, puts his mind to. Maybe the period piece will elude him. <laughs> and if that means we get the next six movies from Marty that are all period pieces, I won't be watching them. Uh, <laughs> some good stuff. Last segment. Some more stuff to come in the ORC. Let's go to a Do You Care. segment this is where we take uh news stories of the week we ask each other do we should we or will we care about them the way we start off i gotta drop this part off from my ramble because there's just no movies ever coming back to theaters i refuse to believe the hype or that anything's ever opening ever again but let's talk about some new releases on pvod and elsewhere uh coming out on pvod this week we have irresistible from focus features that's the john stewart directed movie it stars rose Byrne, steve carell and it is a political campaign film michael I'm probably out for this at 1999. I don't know about you, but I, I wasn't in for the high note. I wasn't in for the hunt at that price. I wasn't in for Amanda Seedfried, the Kevin Bacon movie. Uh, yes, we watch Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Yes, we watch The King of Staten Island. But for that price, Mike, like I think you got to be really kind of passionate about the movie to pay for it. 
I am intrigued by a lot of things going on, and I haven't decided if I'm going to take the dive on it yet for that price point because twenty bucks is high, especially living in the bumpkin town I do. Um, but I, 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 I'm not sure yet. I will let you know. I will follow up with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, on streaming, we have coming to Amazon Prime, My Spy. That's going to drop on June 26th. That's the Dave Batista kids movie. We've previewed that a couple times here on Netflix. Also, the 26th, we have the Eurovision Song Contest, which we've previewed here previously. Yeah, I guess we're out of curiosity's sake, we're going to watch Eurovision Song Contest. And I think Dave Bautista, apparently the word is on My Spy that he's good in it, but the movie's not good. So Yeah, that one got moved around a bunch. Eurovision is just ridiculous pitch perfect, right? That's what this new trailer is that we're not going to review that's that's out there now. I forgot to watch it. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Take my word for it. It's ridiculous pitch perfect. It's absurd. Funny, but I'll probably be watching it. All right, thank um, thank you for watching it. And I po- posted the link, and I forgot to watch it. Again, again, my fault. All right, yeah, not a lot of new movies to talk about, but Hollywood resumed production. Can had their virtual markets. I think they're still at the end of them. But anyway, we got a lot of movie announcements and casting news this week, Mike, so we're going to rip them off. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. First question overall, and we're going to go through a bunch, which new horror movie slash thriller do you care most about? We have a new Evil Dead movie produced by Sam Raimi, who handpicked the director, Lee Cronin. And this is what I referred to uh, previously in what we're watching. Hole in the Ground is the first directorial debut, I think it was the directorial debut, as a matter of fact, from Lee Cronin. I watched that. I was pretty impressed by it, to be honest. The talent, hmm. the directorial talent is plain to see. He's a guy who knows how to make atmosphere and use score to heighten anxiety, which is like, you know, a fourth of the battle with any horror movie as it is. So I'm excited to see what he does. All right, good. We have uh, a Children of the Corn reboot in the works, and they're already, you know, putting stories out there that there might be a prequel after that one comes out. Are, were you ever a Children of the Corn fan? Yeah, the series never really did it for me. It was, okay, evil children, so just, like, children then? <laughs> okay. I was always more partial to Village of the Damned. The only Children of the Corn experience I have is with the South Park parody episode. <laughs> it's pretty that's accurate it. enough. I think that's all you need. Mike, devolution or de-evolution of, uh, this is a Max Brooks novel who, and Max Brooks is the son of Mel Brooks, go figure. He writes horror novels. Mel Brooks, the comedian of the producers, mm-hmm. etc. This is the, the writer of World War Z, de- de-evolution or devolution. Why can't I say that name? <laughs> he wrote a Bigfoot novel, which was just released in book form. I have it queued up on Amazon. I don't know if I'm going to get that or Killers of the Flower Moon this month on my Audible. Uh, so do you care at all about this Bigfoot movie? I care about World War Z. I really like the twist in World War Z. I know a lot of people didn't, but I, I, hmm. I think that's loaded with way more subtext about uh, humanity and the reliance on medication and all that type of good stuff than uh, most people give it credit for. So I'm, I'm excited. All right. I'm kind of bitter about the whole Bigfoot genre these days <laughs> since I'm no longer a true believer. Maybe this myself. will reignite the passion, Mike. It might. I hope so. All right. Do I hope so? I don't know. I'm woke now about Bigfoot. Can you be woke about Bigfoot? Wokefoot. I'm so white. Mike, there's a bidding war right now over the thriller Snowblind starring Jake Gyllenhaal, who's attached. And apparently this is about a high school kid who realizes his parents are in the witness protection program. Yeah, we're about due for Jakey G to go Oscar hunting again, aren't we? Like Nightcrawler, I know we did Stronger. Uh, that didn't really make waves. We thought it might a couple years ago, but Nightcrawler was really his last really grasp at an Oscar. That was almost seven years ago now. 
They said it's like prisoners, so. Well, I, that, I like prisoners a lot, too. I think I'm most excited to see what Jake Gyllenhaal has in store, hoping that it's going to be uh, an Oscar uh, fodder for him. If not that, I really was impressed with Hole in the Ground from Lee Cronin, and uh, I like the Evil Dead series, so I think that's my number two there. So if we're ranking uh, number ones and number twos about all those lists, that's what I care about most. Let me uh, turn the tables on you, good sir. Okay. I'll ask you which casting announcement do you care most about. We have Elizabeth Moss. She's going to reteam with The Handmaid's Tale director Dana Reed for ghost horror thriller Run Rabbit Run. She will play a fertility doctor. So we're both happy that she's sticking with the horror genre. Yes. I mean, this is kind of an obvious thing. We're, we're happy about this. Never, ever leave that genre, Elizabeth. Pete <laughs> Davidson and Colin Jost, they're going to star in a wedding comedy called Worst Men. Or Worst Man, I'm sorry. Yeah, Worst Man. I laughed at this premise. It's so stupid and corny, but basically he's a terrible best man, <laughs> and he's called Worst Man. And my dad jokiness thought it was funny. Do you so, get it? And I just picture Colin Jost being the you know the perfect groom and Pete Davidson being an asshole best man. It's going to be great. <laughs> I'm in as well. That's all I need to be sold on. Brendan Gleeson is playing Donald Trump in the Showtime limited series The Comey Rule. So in terms of the tale of the tape, you know how I do this in terms of physical presence. Brendan Gleeson is like the size of Donald Trump. He's like this, you know, he's got the red hair. He's got he's, he's got the shoulders. He, so th he's got the body type, mm -hmm. the hair, the age, the color. It works. So I'm in for this mimicry, let's just say. I, I also, I, I appreciate it, but isn't it, we got to wait until this presidency's over before we start doing miniseries and stuff. Because there's a new miniseries worthy scandal every week, isn't there? Yeah, like the Comey true. rule, that, the Comey, we're talking like three years ago now. My God, I can't even remember that far back with everything that's happened. True, true. <laughs> so, yeah, it might be too soon. <laughs> the Michael Mann, Hugh Jackman, Ferrari movie is a thing that we can now say. Why is Hugh Jackman playing Ferrari? Like, we know he's Australian, and we know he can pull off English and American. But why do we have all these British and Australian actors, these Anglo actors, playing Italians? Like, look, I'm not going to get all up in arms about this, but there's so many great Italian actors out there. What the fuck is Michael Mann doing here? I don't want a broken English accent from Hugh Jackman. Could Hugh Jackman be any more desperate for an Oscars nomination? I mean, he's, he's really trying, just doing anything he can to get one. I like Hugh Jackman. I do, too. I, I don't mean that as a slight. I know it sounds insulting, and it probably is, but, man. He likes cars, I guess, is the <laughs> thesis statement here. Uh, the last two here, we'll say them in tandem because you have takes. Kristen Stewart is going to play Princess Diana in Spencer for director Pablo Lorraine. And Viggo Mortensen and Peter Farrelly are going to reteam to adapt The Greatest Beer Run Ever, a true story of friendship stronger than war in which no doubt Viggo will save the day. So, yeah, which one do I care most about? It comes down to these last two projects for me. So Viggo Mortensen reteaming with Peter Farrelly. Can they make another good movie? And let's be honest, you know, we've talked about the problems we have with Green Book forever, but we still, you know, gave it a B, yeah. B plus grade. Yep. They made a good movie. It's a well-made movie. We had ethical problems with it. And even those ethical problems, you know, they still took some steps in the right direction. It's just whatever. It shouldn't have been best picture. It didn't solve racism. Look what's happening now in the world, folks. Yeah. It's official. Green Book didn't solve racism. <laughs> It shouldn't have been near the Oscars. I think I think the disdain for it has overcome the good feelings about how well how much we thought about it being well done too. At least in my opinion. 
True, because of the white savior right. complex, exactly. because it's front and center of that movie. And now they're making a story about Vietnam War veterans reuniting. Oh, boy. <laughs> and how can this step on the toes of African-American storytellers oh. at the next few Academy Awards? <laughs> it, I, how, how could that happen, right? So they can't go wrong here, right? <laughs> what are they thinking? What are they thinking? But, this I mean, industry I is this. so dumb! <laughs> I care about this because it's kind of really dumb. You know Spike Lee's putting out the Five Bloods. Why, like, I, you see these projects fall off all the time. I mean, all right, maybe it's a good book. Maybe two years from now we'll forget about the Five Bloods. It won't matter. But, like, why? why? It's such antiquated thinking, too, to be like, oh, you know what would be good? The white version of this story. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> it's dumb. It is Ugh, dumb. But, terrible. look, we've been saying for three years now that Kristen Stewart – she is putting forth awards-level performances in Certain Women, yes. in Personal Shopper, in Lizzie, which is a movie we didn't like, but we loved her performance, yeah. in Seaberg, which is a movie that I didn't love, but I still loved her performance. Those have been four that we have gushed over on this show, and I think mostly on MMOW. So she is getting a high-profile Oscar just... I don't know. I want to. There's no other word I can come up with than grabby. But I mean, if there's an Oscar grabby role, it's Princess Diana, right? I mean, when Nicole Kidman was going to play her years ago, or was it not? It was not Nicole Kidman. And Naomi Watts, there, right? Naomi Watts. Thank you. Naomi Watts was playing her, and that was front and center on everybody's Oscar buzz mm-hmm. list. So this should be as well. If she nails it, it is impossible to snub. Kristen Stewart playing Diana Spencer in a movie called Spencer. It's getting Oscar noms. I'm excited for everything Kristen Stewart does. I'm still, and I know it's been kind of shunned and killed and nobody liked it, but I still want to watch Charlie's Angels just because I want to see Kristen Stewart in an ass-kicking role. I still want to watch the underwater terror movie, the, the Aliens Underwater, basically, is what it was. I can't remember the official name of it yeah. that she did. I know they weren't great underwater. movies, but I am curious to see her in those roles. She's just one of those people that just... I always think she grabs the scene no matter the quality of what's going on around her. So, yeah, putting her front and center in what would you would think is going to be an Oscars-type vehicle I think makes a lot of sense, and it could be one of those perfect role and the perfect timing-type deals where she could finally break through. And look, the Twilight movies are bad enough to where I understand the Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart biases. And if you, can, if you hold grudges against them when they were, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, making those movies, right. I get it. But at the same time, they've all, they both put in decades of good work. Right. So I mean, that was we, years ago now. We could be happy about that. But, Mike, I do have to come back to a serious note because let's state the obvious at this juncture. This industry has a long way to go. Yeah, stories about women, by women, for women, made by, by women, and starring women. Those stories are being announced in these, you know, waves of casting and uh, production announcements, right? And they're getting s- some of the fanfare that they deserve. This is not happening for people of color. And I just, I, I was diving out. Like, there has to be a big announcement about a movie f- made for, by, with, you know, people of color. And it's just not there. Like, all these big announcements happened over the last few weeks. And I look, I mean, I, was, I searched for it, and maybe I missed it, but what the hell? Yeah. Like, th- this is an example. There's 10 announcements. We covered a bunch of them. Th- there's nothing there. So, again, Hollywood's got to put their money where their mouths are, and there's a lot of good roundtable discussions. There's a lot of good, you know, donations being made. There's there's institutions that are, that are starting to, uh, you know, form at this stage of the game, which is probably too late, but still – Hopefully we see the, the results of that coming soon. Your lips to God's ears. It is despicable. It is still a shame. Uh, I'm just the whole time you were talking about that. I was thinking 
if Peter Farrelly were to name his Vietnam movie The Five Something, what would it be to really encapsulate how we feel about the five it? Five idiots. I was going to say The Five Jars of Mayonnaise. Uh, <laughs> that's as far as I got to it. But, yeah, Five Idiots works, too, I guess. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right, and we're going to keep pounding the table over these issues of gender and racial equality, and sorry that we're not sorry about it because this industry does need to change. It is 2020. Uh, it's doing so in incremental steps. But again, what's taking so long and why isn't it further along? Uh, I think that's a good place to end on. So, you know, not the most uplifting of MMOWs, but still some very important stuff discussed. And as always, we want to hear your takes on them, dear listener, uh, about whatever you feel that you have to extrapolate on. So you can leave us those comments, questions, concerns, and thoughts. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com, .com, and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts, especially and including Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you're still quarantined, with us good job if you're wearing your mask around and listening to us while you go get groceries uh be safe stay healthy hope all your loved ones stay healthy as well if you would be so kind if you have a free moment to go on the apple podcast app and to give us a five-star review it requires just one simple click of the button or one tap on your phone uh, that would truly make our day thank you to all of those who have michael what is coming next from us and what are some words of wisdom to end on uh, I'm gonna forego some words of wisdom. You might have said them just before, you know. Yeah, I, no, that's I what I was gonna crying, say. I think so. you had some very wise words on the outro there. Um, why are we patting ourselves on the back at the end of this episode? There's nobody better than us. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That was stupid. But no, that's all right. <laughs> Maybe we are. Maybe we're not. No, we're not. We're idiots. But we're trying to do our best here. And, you know, we have a Pierce Brosnan episode of the James Bond character study where we give the James Bond series a lot of tough love. But we also give it a lot of love. And it's, I guess, you know, it's one of those retrospects that, that we do where there's a lot of conflicting you know, thematic issues, let's Look, just say. There's at least one good Bond movie coming up, at least one that sure. we remember as being good. GoldenEye we remember as being good, and I called dibs on it, didn't I? Yeah, Don't I get did, to review that one? And I, I picked uh, Die Another Day because I like the Madonna song and all my friends I like I like the Madonna song, too. I've been listening to all of the... Like, it's a Spotify playlist that I've shared on, on our Twitter before. Die been listening to, Another oh, Day! Great. Even the Cheryl Crow song is great. Yeah, not bad. That's one thing they've gotten very right recently and going forward. I'm sure. I, I know I have one friend in particular who vehemently disagrees about the Madonna thing, but they've they've really hit the songs all the way through. They may be one of the best franchises as far as getting theme songs and having their finger on the pulse of relative artists to, to sing them. Guilty Pleasure City. I just, I, yeah, I love them. Uh, Mike, we're going to do a quarter two. It's like a fake quarter two Oscar race checkpoint because this year, this film year is going 14 months long instead of 12 months. But we suck at math and we've never pretended to be good at math. We're going to be the local news station that's still trying to report on like the latest <laughs> restaurant during the apocalypse after the meteor hits. That is correct, because we love restaurants. So we're going to do an Oscar race checkpoint at the end of the week. We're going to have a lot of movie reviews in that episode of Baby Teeth, of The Hunt, etc., etc., stuff that we've been watching lately. So we're catching up on some quarter one stuff, a lot of quarter two. But it's basically going to update you on a lot of movies that have come out thus far. And then that's all going to lead to, at the end of july beginning of august we're going to do at least two episodes we think of a mid-year oscar report we have a guest lined up for one of them we hope that doesn't fall through so that'll be your end of july early august and that will truly be a mid-year oscar report because the film year now goes to the end of february <laughs> we have guests lined up for hopefully what will be a couple fun episodes and if, yeah. if they fall through then it'll just be me and i'll go to the microphone and i'll just start yelling and you know that'll be it 
We'll impersonate guests very badly, <laughs> like ventriloquist dummies. I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> All right. That would be a fun episode to record. That would be a terrible episode to listen to, though. <laughs> Guys, when reality sucks, you can come watch movies with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar, trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon. Yeah, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>